Okay, so I was thinking in terms of a sugya for our Dafyomi sugya series. So this is not so much a explicit sugya in Nazir, where we were learning this week, but it's related, closely related. So I thought it would be good to talk about as a general sugya. The Gemara is this week, we're talking about the prohibition of Tuma for Nazir. And together with that also, the fact that there is one exception for a Nazir. A Kohen has an exception for his relatives, but a Kohen Gadol and a Nazir, their exception is Meis Mitzvah. That normally they're not allowed to be Matame Lameis, but for a Meis Mitzvah they are obligated to. And that seems to be sourced in the notion of Kavit Habrios. And that itself is not such a well-known detail, but the Gemara in a number of places, in Brachos, Shabbos, a few places, about five places in Shas, the Gemara has a discussion about the impact of Kavar Abrios in Halacha. Gadol Kavar Abrios, and the Gemara then proceeds to talk about the effect that it has, but it doesn't explain how we know this. So what exactly is the source for the concept of Kavra Brios as this powerful mover in Halacha. So, Primagodim writes, doesn't have a source, a tradition, but as Roshachter points out, uh, the Medrash says that there is a derivation from Parshas Emor that tells us that the obligation of Tuma for a Nazir and for a Kohen Gadol in the context of a Meis Mitzvah is the source for the obligation of Kavad Abrios. That, that is what motivates the notion of the mitzvah, the mace mitzvah, is the Kavod of the deceased. And the way Shechter likes to emphasize that people believe that Kavad Ames is a new concept that begins as soon as the person dies. When they're alive, you can treat them miserably, you can do whatever they want, but then as soon as they die, Kavad Ames, now you all of a sudden have to be very respectful and you have to be very careful. Is it really is the other way around, that there's an obligation of Kavar Habrios for people, which conceptually is rooted in the idea of Adam Divra B'Tzalem, that God created people in his image, all of humanity, and therefore we are obligated to show Kavar to human beings as a way of showing Kavar to God. So that's the concept. But the source that that's the case seems to be from this notion that there is a Kavit Hames force that is so strong it even pushes away the prohibition of Tuma for a Nazir and a Kohen Gadol. And as Rav Shechter points out, so the point is it's kind of a Kavachomer that when the person is not alive to be aware of how he's being treated, still we're obligated to treat them in a Bechavidika fashion. So all the more so when they're alive and they are aware of whether they're being treated properly or not. So all well, the more so, there's an obligation of Kavit Achayim, Kavit Abrios. It doesn't start with the Misa. It's something that is applicable all the more so when a person is alive. So what is the impact of Kavit Abrios? So the Gemara says, Gadol, it's big. The Gemara says in a few places, Gadol Kavit Abrios, Shedolcha Loisase Shebetara. That it's powerful enough to even override a Torah prohibition. But that's apparently not really the total formulation because the Gemara says that's not true. That there's a Pasuk in Mishle that tells us otherwise. And we were told that Ein Eitzah, Ein Chachma, Ein Tvuna, Neged Hashem. That when we're dealing with something that is going to be oppositional to God, so then there is no Eitzah, there is no Chachma, there is no Tvuna. And whether that means that there's no concept of 
of counsel, of wisdom, of understanding, or it means we don't worry about it if it's oppositional to God, because the lesson from that is we don't show covet to the rabbi and Kabachomer, give me to anybody. So that seems to be the principle that Kavod Abrios does not override a losa seisha b'torah. If you have a Torah prohibition, as a chil Hashem, then Kavod Abrios apparently does not overtake it. So the Gemara says, yeah, that's true. What it means is we're talking about a specific losa say, not any losa say, but it's a reference to the losa say of loisasum and adavar shiagidulcha. In other words, that at least according to the Rambam, and it seems on the surface like maybe a proof for him that the concept of dinim derabanan, that we are told that we're not allowed to deviate from the words of Chazal, obligating us to observe dinim derabanan. So that's where we find Kavod Abrios could win. If there's a clash between Kavod Abrios and a dinim derabanan, so then Kavod Abrios takes priority. The example of Nazar itself isn't vile. No, so it doesn't seem to doesn't seem to fit that category. Kohen is deraisa, correct. So we'll come back to that in a second. So question is well placed, but we'll come back to that in a second. But first, the Gemara says that we're talking about dinim derabanan. This Gemara, on the surface, is not yet talking about tumas nazar and tumas Kohen. So, but what emerges from that Gemara and brachos dafitas and a few other places is three categories where kavod abrios wins. One is dinim derabanan. The other is actually even dinim de'araisa, but not a prohibition. If it is, we call a shev al-taisa. If, which sounds like it's a reference to a sin of omission, of passing on a positive mitzvah, so then apparently Kavod Abrius may also prevail. And the third category, which isn't necessarily so different from the second, but the Gemara has its own derivation for it, that a davrashib mamon, if it's a monetary issue, meaning it's a monetary obligation to somebody else, specifically what the Gemara talks about there is hashavas aveda, that if you find the lost object, but returning the object is going to be a degrading process for whatever reason. The Gemara talks about a zokin ve'enel fichvodo, person is a distinguished elder, and whatever the process of returning this item is going to be is not going to be in keeping with his covet. So then he's potter. So those three categories emerge from the Gemara. That if you have a zakim ve'enel fichvodo, and you have a, I'm sorry, that's the Yavashu Mamon, and a Asei Daraiso, or Asei Valtasa, and also a Dindarabana. The third one is also the second one. Sorry? That example. Yeah, so it sounds like, that's why I say there's a little bit of an overlap between the two, but uh, it's treated as a separate category in the Gemara. Those are the categories that we have from that daf. There are at least three other disputed categories. That there we find there's a machlokis about whether Kavra Brios overrides them. What are the disputed categories? So one is... What if the person is in violation of an Avera Bishogeg? Now, let's say the Gemara gives an example in Brachos over there of a situation where Kavod Abrios is not Dolcha. 
because it's a chol Hashem, because it's a losase. So the Gemara says, Hamosi kiloim bibigdo. Let's say somebody is in a public place, and he happens to look at the label of his new garment that he hadn't looked at before, and uh, he sees that it says 100% pure shadness. So the Gemara says, Poshtov afilu b'shuk, that he takes it off, even if he's in public, because that's a chil Hashem, so we don't worry that it's embarrassing for him. So, Mokum Chil Hashem and Cholk and Kovah the Rat. Sorry? Because it's a public Avera, that's considered to be the definition. But how is it public? Yeah, it's not the fact, that's obvious to anyone. So nowadays, we assume that uh, the Shatnas issues that come up are beneath the surface. I guess the assumption is that they're the, it's clear enough, even though it couldn't have been that clear because he didn't notice until he was putting it on. But the definition of a Chil Hashem and that Gemara is a Avera. So Alosa say is apparently enough to raise that standard of the Chalasha. What if the person who discovers the shatna is here actually to tweak to your case, what if Adavka is the other person and not the one wearing it? In a, right. So you notice shatna's in somebody else's garment. So that makes it a show gig. So what if the person doesn't know? So do you have to tell him? and say, take that garment off now? Or can you say, Joe, listen, uh, why don't you run home and I'll give you a call as soon as you go home? So tell him to go home, and then when he goes home, you call me and say, listen, you should just know what you were wearing. It's a problem. Next time, don't wear it. So what if that's the case? What if it's an Avera Bishogeg? So that was the Machlokas, the Rambam, and the Rush, and others as well that maybe there's a tzad, that if the Avera is happening in Bishogeg, then it's not going to be subject to covered abrios. This is the subject of much discussion in the later Achronim, the earlier Achronim, Shagis Aryeh talks about this, and it's the topic of an infamous tshuva in the Nodi Behuda. Not because the tshuva is infamous, but the case is very scandalous. And, uh, they're, they're no- yes, it's true. I have noticed that also. I read there's a lot of truths that, and I remember, I remember being struck by that once, and then hearing Rav Schechter say at some point that uh, Prague in those days was like New York. All, all the things that were going on in Prague and the questions that the Novi. So this one is it was, is within that particularly infamous. Happens to be very relevant to the whole Gittin figures. Uh, so we'll synergy on that front. But the question that he was dealing with was there was a man who had an affair with his mother-in-law and then eventually realized that that was a bad idea and he did tshuva. But the question is, does he have to tell his father-in-law? Because now his father was really prohibited to his mother-in-law and does he have to tell him? And the argument was that maybe not because they're a prominent family and it's going to be a big scandal and Kavita Brios is at stake. And maybe you could argue he's a show gig and he's not obligated to disrupt his blissful ignorance. The father doesn't know. The father, the father doesn't know that uh, he's prohibited to his wife. Yeah, but you know, he, he, that impacts on him, so he doesn't know and he doesn't have to believe her. So that was, that was the question. So it happened to be that... The, the basis of the argument was that maybe there's a tzad to say that if shogeg you don't have to say and kavod abrios can outweigh it. But Odebihuda himself did not buy the argument and it became also well known in the context of Gittin 
because, as he points out from the Tosfos in the beginning of Zvachim, that even though the in-laws are now prohibited to each other, they're not actually obligated to divorce. They're not allowed to be intimate with each other anymore, but it doesn't mean that there's actually a chiv to divorce, so it doesn't have to be a public scandal. And therefore, he didn't buy the Kavod Abrios application. Now, there were other poskim who disagree. The Debre Chaim has a chuv about a similar situation. And it could be that the Minig is like that. But whatever, however it plays out. But this was a major discussion, the question of Shogeg, how does that play out? A second disputed area has to do with what you brought up about what about Tumas Kohanim or Tumas Nazir. So here we know Kavra Brios seems to outweigh it, the Din of Meis Mitzvah, but it doesn't fit the categories. It's an Isra Daraisa and it's active. So why is it that Kavra Brios wins? So Rashi writes in his commentary to Brachos and Dafitas that it's an exception within the Din, that the way the Din was formulated, that's what the Psukim mean, that it didn't apply to a Meis Mitzvah. So this is not fitting the other categories, it happens to be it's a clause within Tumas Kohenim and Tumas Nazir that it doesn't apply to a Meis Mitzvah. But Tosfus says differently. And Tosfus says that maybe there is a clause here that maybe Kavod Abrios can outweigh even an Isser Daraisa if it is a weaker Isser, if it's not a normal strength Isser. So what makes Tumas Kohen, for example, a weaker Isser? So the answer is, it's a category that the Gemara has in a few places of a lav she'enu shavila kol. It doesn't apply to everybody. The Gemara says even an iser applies to men and not to women. It's called a lav she'enu shavila kol. It's a little bit less powerful than a normal lav. So here, not only does it only apply to men, it only applies to a small percentage of men. So that would make it a lav she'enu shavila kol. So apparently that is a weakened iser. And that does fall to Kavod Abrios. So what about Nazir? Does Nazir fit that category? Is Nazir a lav shein v'lakal? So you might think so, because how many Nazirim do you know? But, oh, exactly. So that's the problem. So that's why it's not a lav shein v'lakal, because potentially anyone could be a Nazir. Here are men or women, so the perm spiel that's always been... Uh, big staple of when I was in the perm spiel that uh, Rav Schechter when he asks his kolo bechinas so he would ask uh, can a woman be a nazir right, and, right so as we put, right so anyway any Jewish person a man or woman could theoretically be a nazir and the dinim of nazir therefore apply to everybody so it's not a lav shein v'shavu l'kol so why is it therefore also in a weakened category if it's not a lav shein v'shavu l'kol has another reason to call it weaker close Close. Uh, sorry? Yes, right? That's related to self-imposed, but, but the fact that it's, we call Efshra B'Sha'ela, that if you're starving for a pork sandwich, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't go to a Bezdin and say, please excuse me from the Isser of eating trefus. But when it comes to Naziris, it's subject to revocation because it's based on a nether, so you can have the nether be undone, and you can have the Naziris be undone also. So Efshra B'Sha'ela is also a weaker category. So what emerges from Rashi and Tosfus is we have uh, another disputed category here, and that is that 
if something is a weakened Isser, even if it's an Isser Daraisa, if it's a lower level Isser Daraisa, so maybe Kavad Abrios can win then also against a lower level Isser Daraisa. There's a third disputed category that came up in the Achronim. This is uh, a tshuva in the Divrei Chaim, the Sanzer Rebbe. And there was a machlokis about this. That what if you have an Isser that comes from Torah authority, but is not spelled out in the Torah itself? So that was invoked to explain why it is that Dinim Drabanan are able to be overridden by Kavar Abrios. Because you could say that you could say that because they're rooted in Los Asar, as the Gemara introduces that whole point, that doesn't that mean that every Yisr Darabanan really is a Yisr Daraisa? So the response was, he says, yeah, but it comes from Torah authority, but it's not spelled out in the Torah anywhere. So therefore, that's also different. A Yisr Daraisa that's not Beferish and Chumash, that you can't point to a Pasuk and say, oh, you're violating this Pasuk. So we won't call that the kind of Chil Hashem that would override Kavod Abrios, and Kavod Abrios in that case would win. I had a crazy story about that once, that uh, many, many years ago, I was in London visiting my grandmother, Allah Shalom, and this was my pre-beard days, and I wanted to shave on Friday afternoon, and I, my shaver didn't have uh, an adapter for European plugs. And apparently I was the first American tourist to ever visit Europe because it was very hard to find one in the stores in that neighborhood. So I had to go to a lot of Tircha to get an adapter for my shaver to shave for Shabbos. So I had to get on a bus and go to a mall, the whole story. So on the way, while I was schlepping out there, I was thinking, you know what, I don't know how much power is in the shaver. So why don't I just you know, start shaving and we'll see how far I get. And uh, so, so I was thinking that, and I'm sitting on the bus thinking that, and while I'm doing that, I'm going over my notes on this topic of Kavod Abrios. And what did I happen to hit upon as I was on the way to the mall to get the shaver? That uh, the Sefer, uh, Mayor Laolam, if I remember correctly, brought a raya that he thinks that the Rambam subscribes to this position, that a Kavod Abrios situation could override a Yisr Daraisa that's not Beferish and Chumash. He says, how do you know? Because the Rambam maintains that if somebody was shaving and they were half finished and then they find out in the middle that they lost a relative and they have an obligation of Avelus and the Rambam's position, which is not the majority view among the Rishonim, but the Rambam's position is that Avelus Yom Rishon is Menatorah. So despite the fact that there's an obligation of Avelus Menatorah, Still, the Rambam says, if you find out in the middle of shaving, you can continue, because it's such a bizarre to walk around half-shaven that the Kavod Abrios will override it. So why is that the case, if the Rambam holds you dealing with the Daraisa there? So, because even if Avelis is Daraisa, but these details, you're not going to find in the Torah a prohibition of shaving in Avelis. That's not explicit in Chumash. So therefore, maybe he subscribes to this idea also, that there's a... Exclusion here as well that even in Issa Daraisa, if it's not Beferish and Chumash, so then that would also be overridden by a concept of Kavra Brio. So I took that as a powerful sign in Hashemayim that I probably should not risk this situation with a shaver and uh, who knows how many hours it took. I thought you were going to say maybe you could use a razor. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, attack it. That would really be right. So. Interesting. Taka, yes. I should have thought of that one. Uh, I thought he was going to take the bus on Shabbos. It's a very, it's a, it's a very slippery slope. Yeah, so the, the applications can be very tricky. Yeah, the applications are, are very tricky. So here we have three categories from the Gemara and three disputed categories. Right, so again, the Gemara tells us Dinim de Rabbanan and Sheva Altase and Davashem Mamu. And our disputed categories, Shogeg and Weekendisurim and the Nisr that's not explicit in Chumash. All of those would be Surim Daraisa, but they would be maybe subject to a Machlokis if they're in a different category or not. So, what's the Yisod of the Machlokis? What are these three disputed areas? What are they fighting about? So, I think you could say like this that the question is, what is the nature of the process by which Kavada Brios overrides other dinim? This idea of Gadol Kavada Brios, how does that work? So, the simple way to say it is you could say that it's a values clash. That we have a conflict between two dinim, Kavada Brios, as we've seen, is a din, and the other dinim are up against it. So, let's imagine we have a scale, a 1 to 10 level of severity. So Gadol Kavod Abrius, we're saying it's a 9 out of 10 on the scale. Now, Chil Hashem, that's the worst thing, so that's a 10. So Kavod Abrius loses to a Chil Hashem. But other things that are lower than a 9 on the 1 to 10 scale, Kavod Abrius could win. So if that's the case, what position would you take on the disputed issues? So I would think you would say like this, that Shogeg, for example, part of the impact of Shogeg is it generally <coughs> reduces the severity of something. So we could say that a Avera Menatora starts off as a 10, but if it's a Shogeg, so then it goes a little bit lower on the ranking, and Kavra Brios then is going to be higher. So too, uh, a weakened Disser, Lav Shein Shavalakal, or Efshabashela, that's the whole point. It's not a 10 anymore. So again, Kavra Brios. Is a nine that could win. The last category, I think, might go the other way because a iser that's not spelled out in chumash is really still just as chumer. It just doesn't have a pasuk in point to. So there, you'd probably take the other side and say kavod abrius would not win over that lav. So that's one answer, one approach you could give, which I think would lead you to taking that side in those three issues. But there's another explanation you could give as well. And that uh, starts from a more fundamental question here, that, and a more fundamental principle, that you can find in some of the Rishonim and the Achronim that what's going on here is actually not necessarily about a dhia and one winning out over the other, but maybe there's a different process. So Rashi suggests that the idea that we have, for example, that Dinim Darabanan are subject to Kavra Brios winning, that that has to do with the fact that Chazal were mochel on their covet, that we have to follow Dinim Darabanan because of the covet for the Rabbanan. But if they're mochel, they're covered, so then we wouldn't have to. So in order to protect the covet of the individual, apparently Chazal were mochel on their covet. And you find the same idea by the Hashavah Saveda point, that the person who lost their property 
they have the right to have their property returned to them. But maybe we're able to assume with confidence that nobody would want their property to be returned if to do so requires somebody else to degrade themselves, to mavaz themselves. So we can assume that there is also a mechila on the part of the Baal HaMamon, on the part of the owner of the property. He'd rather not have you return the property if it requires you to humiliate yourself in the process. But that leads us to a very surprising conclusion. Because if that's the case, we know that there are at least some dinim daraisa that were covered up Rios wins. And that is the situation of Sheval Tase. So that's hard to understand because what we seem to be saying is that the way to explain that following this path is that a Baruch Hu is mochal on his cover to protect covered abrios. And that's a little bit hard to figure out why that should be because if we say that covered abrios comes from the fact that a Baruch Hu created humanity, but Salam Elohim. So you respect people, it's a way of respecting God. So then, why don't we cut out the middleman? If we have to choose between respecting God directly by doing a mitzvah, or respecting his creations, which indirectly goes back to him, so then let's cut out the middleman and respect God directly. Why should we give up an opportunity? Yes, but that's true, but why should we pass up this opportunity to be mechabed him, when we could just be mechabed him directly? And there's a medrash that also leaves open the same question. There's a medrash in Parshas, in Parshas Balak, which says, Rashi quotes this in Parshas Balak, that the donkey of Bilam ends up being destroyed because it's the Bizayan to Bilam. And Chazal say, you see how a Kaddish Baruch Hu worries about the covet even of our Rasha. So all the more so, we should worry about the covet of decent people. But there as well, you could say that this donkey would have been the best exhibit in the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum of Miracles. That here, this could be a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And we're going to pass up that opportunity to protect the covet of Bilam. So how do you explain that? So you could explain it by referring to something that the Bali Musar talk about, which you could call the paradox of the Balgaiba. You think of Balgaiba is pretty happy, but he actually lives a pretty miserable life. And one of the reasons is that there's a central stira in how he goes about things. Because the Balgaiva doesn't have any respect for anybody else. But he wants to get honor from other people. So how's that going to work if he doesn't actually care about anybody else? So why is their opinion meaningful? The honor is going to be worthless. Right, related to that, any club that wants me, right. So here, apparently the Balgaiva has to pretend for a second that he actually is Mechabi, the other person, so that when that person gives him covet, it's meaningful, because if he doesn't think the other person is important, so who cares about the respect he gets from him? And you could argue that uh, that is shot in the Mishnah in Perkyovos, when it says, Ezehu Mechubad. Which sounds like it's reciprocity. You, you respect me, I'll respect you. But it could be even more fundamental than that. That the only person who has genuine covet in this world is somebody who first acknowledges the covet of somebody else. Because otherwise, there's no place for one to get covered from. If you don't have cover for others, then whatever covet you seek from them is going to be meaningless. So people who genuinely have covet are those who actually are mechabit other people, and then it's possible that they can receive covet back from them because of what to do. 
So that shows us that kavod is an interesting concept, that when it's genuine, it's actually built on mechila, that one has to first acknowledge the kavod of somebody else in order for kavod to exist. So it does make sense for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be mochel, his kavod, to human beings, because the fact that humanity is honorable is what makes them then be able to transfer covet up to Shemayim. So we need to have, why you now we have signs all around, the, and it's on the bags, that's the, of our major messages. So we can only be Mechabed God if we ourselves are honorable. So it makes sense for Akash Baruch Hu even to be Mochel his covet to protect the covet of the individual so that it can build up back to him. So then, maybe the idea is that Kavod Abrius wins over mitzvos because it's about mechila. That in each one of these cases, the recipient of whatever that mitzvah is trying to help is mochal on that right, whether it's the chazal in a whole, or whether it's the balamomen in the veda, or maybe even the Baruch himself is mochal on his kavod in order to allow the kavod of the other individual to be protected. So how does that affect our disputed issues? So what seems to emerge is that anything that's an active Chil Hashem, that we can't allow because that's a bizayin to God. It's a bizayin to God that we can't tolerate no matter what. But if it's just a missed opportunity, so then okay, that's not a Chil Hashem, then we can say, all right, we'll miss this opportunity to be mechabed the individual. So it would seem that those things that are still active we would still have to say Kavod Abrius would not win, even if, let's say, they're Shogeg, or they are weakened Yisurim, so then maybe we'd take the other side in those Machlokasin and say, yes, they may be weakened, but they're still active Averos, there's still a Chil Hashem involved, and therefore we can't let Kavod Abrius win in that case. But the last Machlokas, the question of something that's not Beferish, so maybe there you could say that it's not really a Chil Hashem because there's no clear contradiction to a Pasuk from one's behavior. So then maybe that would not be that kind of Chil Hashem and maybe the Mechila could still be active in that case. So perhaps these three disputed areas could be addressed based on these different approaches as to how to look at the Din as a whole. Just to mention one more issue, just to close up, there's a, a Tosfus in Masech Shvuas that has a interesting point, which also just contributes to the understanding of this issue, and maybe leaves us with one other important klal. That Tosfus raises a question that the Gemara makes it clear that a prominent Dayan, let's say a prominent Tamrachacham, is obligated to give Edus in front of a Bezdin, even if the Bezdin is on a lower level. So you would say, Tosfus asked the question, but if they wouldn't show up in this Bezdin to testify, so that would be passive. That would be Shev al And why shouldn't we say that their covet can override the obligation to testify? We're not talking about where they're the defendant. That's a different story. But let's say they're not on trial. It's a question of Edus. They have testimony to give. So why should they be obligated to show up? Let's say it's covet abrios, the covet dictates that they don't come to this lower court and it would be passive to not show up, so why shouldn't we say Kavod Abrios is going to prevail there? So Tosus has two answers. One answer is, they both are interesting for their implications, one answer is that maybe the scenario we're talking about is that 
there will be an active Avera done by somebody else if they don't clarify whatever it is that Bezdin needs to clarify. So it's not really Sheva Altasa, they're Sheva Altasa, but there's going to be an Avera Kumvase if they don't show up to clarify whatever the issue is. So that's interesting also because it shows you that the Chil Hashem concern is not just about your own behavior. It would mean that even if there's a Chil Hashem from someone else, that maybe your own covered would step aside for that. But the other answer Tostas gives is just an important modification to this whole din that we should probably keep in mind. Tostas makes the point, which maybe we could understand intuitively, that there's a distinction between a Gnai Gadol and a Gnai Katan. That there's a major disgrace where we say Gadol Kavra Brios. And then there's also something which is maybe not the perfect Kavod, but you wouldn't really call it humiliating. So here, this idea of prominent Dayanim coming to a lower court. So it's not protocol. It's not in keeping with the protocol of their personal stature. It's not humiliating. It's not something that is a disgrace, not a scandal. It's just not in keeping with the normal protocol. So yes, it is lacking in the terms of COVID, but it's not a G'nai Gadol, which is what we would normally need to be able to say Gadol Kavod Abrios. So that's just an important kind of modifier to the whole discussion because we said that look at a scale, Kavod Abrios is a 9 out of 10. It's presumably not absolute. It probably depends on what kind of a humiliation we're talking about. It would mean Gadol Kavod Abrios would mean it could go up to 9. But if we're talking about something which is lower on the level of imperfect kavod, so then that might be a different story. And it's probably a variable assessment depending on the parts at play. So that's just an important caveat here because the actual application of these dinim is a very subtle and difficult process. And as somebody mentioned before, it's kind of a slippery slope if we're going to let everyone decide on their own, okay, so there's a kavod abrios situation, and that can exempt me from dinam and overridim draban and the like. There is a whole tradition here of how these issues have been adjudicated and what qualifies and what doesn't. So to keep in mind this detail also, that not every kavod abrius is automatically the same. Not every time that there's some degree of kavod at stake will it necessarily trigger this kind of a policy. But it's a theoretical possibility, and the, the nature of this process is one that requires a lot of background and all the different moving parts, but just to emphasize this important concept overall, that there is a tremendous respect for the Kavra Adam that emerges from the Din, and so much so that it can times override other dinim, but a lot of the times when we're considering such issues, it's not about a conflict between that and the din, it's just about the concept of covet overall. So to be aware of the tremendous emphasis that the halacha puts on covet, the dignity of a human being, and all of the attendant responsibilities that come with that, is one of the important principles that emerges from this sugi. So we'll uh, stop there. Wish everyone a wonderful night.